Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of The Shortlist. Um, as you may have guessed, I am not uh, Social Talents co-founder and host of The Shortlist, Johnny Campbell. Um, I'm, in fact, Holly Fawcett. I'm the director of content here at Social Talent, and I'm stepping into the hot seat for today on a topic that... Um, that I'm really passionate about actually, which is really about attracting and retaining uh, future talent. And with me for this week's session, I'm going to be bringing in uh, Robbie McGullough-Faldrick, who I have sparred with many a time about uh, this particular issue. And um, so good afternoon, Robbie, welcome to the shortlist. Good to see you, Holly. Robbie, um, rather than me introduce uh, you to the rest of the world and probably tell a few tales because would you like to to share a bit about yourself what you do where, where you're from and uh, yeah a little bit of something around uh, around your expertise in this area from Dublin uh, I've been a co-conspirator and sparring partner of yours and uh, and your colleagues for some time I think actually an early adopter of your platform in fact um, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I'm one of the co-founders and CCO of Sigma Recruitment, which is probably the third largest uh, recruitment company here in Ireland. We support a lot of kind of US investment into Ireland and expansion internationally. Uh, also founder of uh, of Talent Summit, which is uh, the largest HR leadership conference in Ireland and one of the largest HR leadership conference series in Europe now, I believe. Um, we've been running that for 11 years. Uh, so that 11 us... years, 11 years, Sorry. yeah, yeah. You've been on the <laughs> journey right. with us, Holly. You've been on the journey, I know, I know. and it's uh, yeah, we've I think the kind of digital kind of space over the last 18 months probably broadened that community to about seven and a half thousand HR leaders, uh, around Europe mainly. Um, but it's brought us close to close contact and um, into further sparring with other uh kind of HR innovators from around the world. Uh, and then in addition to that, then we run a trade mission to the US every year called Ireland Gateway to Europe, where we partner with US investors uh, to support their investment and expansion into Europe and EMEA. Uh, but the talent spaces where I live and breathe have three young girls, Daisy, Robin, and Lily. Um, and uh, today marks the first day of the elves and the shelves. Oh, <laughs> so where is the elf hiding today? So the elves found partners last year and they now have baby elves. So now there's three elves oh. per each girl, right? And I'll just share this little story with you. The, um, two weeks ago, my eldest girl, Daisy, she's nine, uh, she lost her tooth. And my youngest, uh, Lily, has a wobbly tooth. Uh, so this is the kind of the the, the, the sideline conversation in my house at the moment. So we actually had to break the news to Daisy that the tooth fairy no longer exists two weeks ago. And really surprised by her reaction, Holly, uh, she cried. And we said, look, it's the tooth fairy. Like, you're nine years of age. And the reason we told her is because she was going into my brother's house. He's a daughter, same age. And she is streetwise. And she would have shaken Daisy down for her tooth fairy money. So explain this to Daisy. Uh, Daisy then said, look, I don't really care about the Tooth Fairy, but what does this mean for Santi, for the elves on the shelves? I said, the elves on the shelves? She goes, Dad, do not tell me that they're not real. I said, darling, how could we be so cruel as to lie to you that the elves on the shelves aren't real? So they landed <laughs> yesterday. And uh, I actually shared that story with my brother, right, about his uh, going out to his daughter's house the next day. And he said, oh, yeah, I remember telling my son, his, his, say, his son, my nephew, about the big man at Christmas. And he said, he's going to secondary school. He said, Rona, we need to talk to you. And uh, he said, look, 
about the big man. He goes, Dad, I know. You don't have to tell me. He goes, what do you mean you don't have to tell me? He said, uh, he goes, look, I know Jesus Christ doesn't exist. So um, <laughs> I think that the lesson of all of these stories, Holly, and I'll finish here, is knowing the difference between what we think our people care about uh, and what they truly care about, I think, have changed. And I think that's what we've been through over the last 18 months. And I think our elves on the shelves, we need to do an awful lot to understand the value of them, what they are, um, and what truly matters to our people. Well, that is a, a wonderful parable and fable that I would never have been able to pull out of that story. Well done, Robbie, well done. Um, but yes, the poor elves on the shelves. We do, the elves on the shelves don't live here yet in our house um, because our, our little boy isn't old enough to, to know about Santa. So we have a few little, a few more years to go, I think, before they're going to make their own, uh, their, their, their landing here in this house. But thank you very much, Robbie. And you're dead right. Tomorrow's talent, and actually even today's talent, we absolutely need to reevaluate what, what they appreciate and what they want. And I suppose that really, really leads us uh, incredibly nicely, this beautiful segue. Thank you so it's much, ready so today's conversation is really about attracting and retaining um tomorrow's talent i would nearly reframe that about just today's talent in general because attracting and retaining talent today is is absolutely um imperative for all of our organizations as we're recruiting and i think really given what's happened over the last 18 months it's really not surprising that we've gone through you know a bit of an identity crisis around work because we've gone through an identity crisis in general and i've had to do work at home for the majority of that as well and I think all of the conversations that we've had over the past number of months on the shortlist has really seen that shift from employer to employee in terms of power and how that's uh, changed from, you know, work is not really somewhere that we go. It's actually something that we that we do. Um, and are we doing the right thing? So um, I really want to see how um, this means for employers and for recruitment today and see what your viewpoint is around um, that that power shift, that power um moving from employer to employee um and as you're saying you know really identifying what it is that employees want how is this or or, or have you seen anything in particular um come about straight away that that you think people we need to change about uh about how we approach work absolutely like isn't it a fascinating time um mm. i don't think like any like this amount of change has happened within our working lives to the level that it has clearly. And mm -hmm. again, we've been talking about the war for talent for I don't know how long. We've been talking about mm -hmm. the HR folks having like no longer being on the menu and all of a sudden having the seat at the table. But like the war for talent, like we know what it means to measure, to drive behaviors, to use tools, innovation, technology to articulate our point of difference and attract. I think the war has moved on to an internal war and this battle for attention is really the new front upon which it's been mm -hmm. fought. And we need a whole new arsenal of weapons. And it's really a war for heart, hearts and minds, Holly. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we give enough kudos, recognition or measure the re-recruitment of our folks that's happening daily. We measure mm -hmm. the exit, we measure the entry point of new talent into our business and even the language even using the word talent i'm not sure it's apt uh, or captures the shift like if i just step back and look at what we've been through which is important if we're going to look at kind of content or we need to explore the uh, context um so the kingdom in which content is king is important to understand so my quick reflection uh, i think we've gone from 
using a dating analogy from living uh, with our employees as as employers, we've entered into this long distance relationship, haven't we? Uh, and what happens with long distance relationships? And it has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, they have fizzled. Mm-hmm. But those who have travelled are our employees, and they are the ones who have been opened up to a whole new world of opportunity, literally, uh, new experiences uh, and new adventures. And where the party in this relationship who have remained at home as employers and when I think that through we're now at a point where it may be feasible now it's up and down I know um, but it certainly was from September to maybe two weeks ago it was feasible to ask the other party to return from traveling and as employers I think this option to give it a go once more I think there's been two effects some have deepened their commitment and others have voted with their feet. So I think we're seeing a second wave of this movement of folks. And again, if I think that point true, I think we are no longer, or in many cases, no longer as relevant and no longer as attractive as a partner to the partner who has gone on their travels over the last two years. I think that Mm. whole question of what makes us relevant and attractive is increasingly under scrutiny. And I think we are... We are slow to cotton on to what has changed as employers by and large. And again, the power has completely shifted. And if I look at how you opened, Holly, around the identity of work itself, the psychological contract of work, it's run very deep with people. And I think the last 18 months, our working selves and how we identify with our working selves has shrank. And Mm. I think the holistic sense of ourselves has broadened because both happen on a daily basis and are much more deeply intertwined and as you mentioned it's no longer somewhere we go we've got a separate headspace it's increasingly just part of what we do and who we are and i think the identity is now under question but i think the other thing is that work has become deeply individualized and the shift has gone from employee experience to that of human experience and we haven't reflected that in how we look to attract people and i think that's what needs to change Mm. so what was the difference then maybe between employee experience versus human experience what are the some of the immediate things that people would would no longer that would no longer be relevant that we have done always in the past that we may think are still going to be there but actually when you like think about it in that much more holistic context i love that analogy of of it being a long distance relationship where one of our parties has gone off on, on their travels for a while and, and have seen uh, seen the grass is definitely greener on other sides but um like ultimately what is it that we need to just ditch into the bin um or do we just it's a couple of things that we need to just tweak like what, what is it that we need to do to move from employee experience to human experience Okay, so sticking with that analogy, I think at the same time, online dating has become a very real thing. So remote working has opened up the world. So, so we've another contextual challenge that we're operating within. Mm. Um, when I look at the human experience or HX, as we as we call it, um, I think the loyalty towards employers has changed. It's no longer as deep. And we talk about EVP, don't we? So mm-hmm. again, what is our employer value proposition? And if you close your eyes for one moment and visualize a brand who you feel, you don't have to literally do it. <laughs> go, go, for it go for it, go for it, go for it, go for it. You know you have a nine-month-old. Any any chance, close your eyes. Any honey. chance for a bit of sleep, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll have that effect. 
Um, but if you think about this, right, so, so who are the most attractive brands when it comes to employer value proposition globally? Like, give me three at the top of your head, Holly. Don't give me any, Holly. Actually, brands. don't give me any, right? So you think, <laughs> you, you, don't you think of the usual suspect? You think of like some of the kind of ah, yeah. the, the, the tech companies and so the on. Right? You visu- Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what you visualize, you visualize a lot of the frills. Uh, mm-hmm. And now I think remote working has gone from being this kind of five star experience, which is uh, which is based around place uh, now to more around 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 the 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 not just the employer value proposition or place or the frills of the employer, um, but remote working being more individualized is more around low cost it's more around the efficiency of work it's more around what matters is actually going from a to b it's not the the daily kind of frills of what creates the experience um mm-hmm. that we identify what we think of the brand of the employer so mm-hmm. the shift i think from the loyalty piece has gone and i think even before the pandemic we're at a point where it shifted from evp to nearly kind of job value proposition like a lot of people we would have been speaking with would have spoken a lot about the team dynamic the individual they're working with the impact they're having um so again not just getting one percent efficiency over like a two-year period for a specific product or category uh it's more around like how can they really move the dial around the growth mm-hmm. of the organization so there's a stage and there's a a kind of a career trajectory impact around the job itself and that's what truly mattered to a lot of folks and therefore the reward and therefore the motivation and therefore the career trajectory and opportunity so that kind of job value proposition is what was developing as competitive advantage when we spoke to the marketplace on behalf of our clients and i think Mm -hmm. what's changed most around the hx has been the experience value proposition so how can employers Mm -hmm give the experience that has been sought and people think immediately of flexibility i'm not thinking like flexibility flexes both ways like we haven't in my opinion been through a one-way door holly this is a two-way door and frankly i believe we've over romanticized remote working like we don't have enough data we haven't done it for long enough at the scale that we have been doing it in peacetimes to really get a mm. sense of what that means when it comes to competitive advantage to attract people, but also from a leadership perspective to make sure that we're showing up for our people when needed most. And I think that's what we've been through, but now how do we sustain that is a very different question. So I think the experience or the focus and the experience of work itself and how that fits into each individual's world, which is a highly tailored message and it's something actually that can't be predetermined. It's something that's experienced during the engagement and selection process and mm-hmm. needs to be tailored per individual. Mm-hmm. Certainly, and I'd love to um, kind of dig into a little bit more about the, um, the, the career trajectory of individuals. But when we are mm-hmm. doing remote working, for example, um, there's, a tendency, particularly for organizations where they were doing remote working or hybrid working, where some people were remote and others were office-based or, or location-based, that those who were, um, I suppose, promotion is based on proximity a lot of the time. 
And if you are in proximity to your leaders who have the power to therefore promote you, you're more likely to be noticed for that promotion, more likely to be highly networked, and therefore more likely to actually get that promotion. So your career trajectory is actually on the direction that you're looking for. Whereas those who are remote are often, they're not as well networked. Um, they're often forgotten about and because we don't have that proximity they don't get that promotion so um, is that something that we can repair I think going forward or are actually people looking for uh, an upwards trajectory in their career they're looking for other other directions I think that's been the narrative isn't it like it's about proximity bias and people logically think those who are further from decision making have less opportunity I think it depends on what you do and there's an equal argument for the distractions that come through being in office. So therefore, to somebody who has a full run of the day, uh, given very clear tasks, but all the working kind of structures and practices geared towards individual type work, do they not have a competitive advantage over those who are bogged down by distractions in office? So again, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a bit of a seesaw effect. Now, I do largely agree with the point that there's a proximity bias. I think we have a whole new world of equality and kind of um, balance that will come out, I think, over the coming months and years. Um, that's a whole new front around diversity and inclusion. Um, and it's now based on location, not uh, the traditional ways we think about diversity, inclusion and equality. Um, mm -hmm. But I also think, I think about this differently, right? So not just about proximity. I always think about like an organization being like a, a structure and I think about the individual building blocks. Think of a brick wall, an individual building block being the human capital and mm -hmm. the cement that binds us is the social capital. It's how we collaborate. Mm -hmm. The ingredients in that cement is what makes work more sociable. It's what makes it more productive. It makes it more elastic, stronger or weaker. So the ingredients mm -hmm. that goes into that cement is really what makes us better. And I think we've, what has happened over the last while is that it's actually the cement that's been broken, isn't it? We've distributed mm -hmm. all of these building blocks and our organizational human capital. That's what's been distributed. And now we're looking to kind of bring elements of that back. So what binds the bricks that are closer versus the ones that are further I think there's something around our competitive advantage around collaboration, productivity, and actually, therefore, our message to the marketplace of what work and the experience of work means to the individual that needs to be fully understood for each organization. And I would therefore argue the point, Holly, that I think the, the, the real career advantage is actually the managerial capital. It's the capital you build up with those in decision making, those who make and break opportunity for every individual and some of that is there's a benefit through being closer and some of that is actually if it's geared towards output you have an advantage through being full-time remote um but knowing how we typically make decisions it's usually and often a conversation before a meeting or a meeting after the meeting where we convene that we kind of make decisions or have done historically at least do you know what i mean so um mm. yeah i think it all needs to be unpacked but the ingredients in that managerial and or social capital are really what matter most yeah absolutely i can't agree more i think and obviously moving to an output focused um type of organization or or certainly a leader where you are really focused on the outcomes and the input the inputs there 
aren't as specific because they're not time bound, right? Those inputs could happen fitting in and around family and life and therefore having that flexibility as you're talking about. Those inputs can happen incredibly efficiently or inefficiently, right? Some people are just really, really, really efficient and boom, they get their work done very, very fast because they just are able to focus. And, and others may not be as efficient with, with putting in, in those inputs, particularly as they're learning, right? But it's always the outputs and outcomes that, that need to matter in order for you to be able to move to to better and, and um uh i suppose more um a better position that you're looking for in terms of your own growth uh rather than necessarily always a promotion upwards in the organization but certainly getting to work on great projects that you're always like itching to get towards i think it's that, that outcomes that, that are always going to be key yeah and i also think when you th- th- again think that through um Sorry, sorry, how long do we have for this, Holly? Uh, <laughs> we've, 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 we've probably a lot of ground to cover, but I might share one final thought if you don't mind. Go on, uh, yeah, sure. It's um, I didn't even ask the question; I just railroaded it in. Um, the um, culture. What's changed? Um, like, was culture in most organisations really, truly built? in an environment it's how we experience each other isn't it really um like there's very few who have been built as fully distributed first we know the handful of examples who were there before with the pandemic we know the companies like hopping and so on who've done great work uh, in scaling uh, since the pandemic so there's all these outliers uh, but by and large i think when we think through what most companies believe to be their competitive advantage around retaining attracting driving performance uh, of their people to deliver for the customer, uh, we think of culture and guided by values. And the way I think about this, I just obviously North Star purpose and the driving Ten Commandments, whatever of the behaviors are our values. And I'd ask the question of what values have been stretched most mm-hmm. over the last 18 months, two years, mm-hmm. and which have shown up most for our people when they were needed. And I think there's a complete overhaul required for our value sets in who we are and how we work and that therefore equals our evolving value proposition to the marketplace like have we not all become like as, as, as the health and well-being of our people not like gone right up as a kind of key value in all of our organizations yet we haven't repackaged that or articulated that in a very clear concise way um and i also think about proximity and purpose in the equation of values and I think of the all blacks mm. so the highest performing until we beat them recently one of the highest performing <laughs> uh, sporting teams in any sport mm-hmm. in any in, in the world right so, so I'm sure if the all blacks played rugby they'd be fine but I'm sure if they played cricket they'd be a very different team <laughs> yes 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 so so anyway the so the all blacks right so they don't have a home venue they don't have a, a training ground they rotate and they go to different locations. So mm-hmm. what has driven the culture of high performance amongst the All Blacks? It's been more about ideology and belonging mm. as opposed to values that are experienced in one place. So mm-hmm. I think with a distributed workforce is more of a lean on ideology and less on how mm-hmm. values are experienced. And I don't think we've clearly articulated and probably understood that to the degree that we need to if we are to continue to cultivate and to prune our cultures that we that we we've long prized as being our point of difference yeah 
yeah absolutely and you know actually i because i'm conscious that while this conversation is fascinating and i i want to continue for the next 20 minutes on this Go. um i'm being prompted that we actually have an agenda for this show but um i will leave you with one quote before we move on to actually our first news article for today's shortlist um which yeah. is from harrod fiddler so i was doing my my learning on social talent today uh which was on bev k's program love it don't leave it about finding out about that purpose in your own job which is actually it was quite quite useful for today's conversation really but this wonderful quote from harrod, uh, harrod fiddler was values i actually wrote it down values are the emotional salary of work and some people are earning no wages at all um so yes unfortunately some people aren't earning anything when they when those values aren't aligned and i think you're dead right nice. those values have been stretched to some degree and uh, those are probably the ones that we never really ascribe to in reality we're more aspirational but the ones that are really showed up i think those definitely are our true our true values and um, so with that in mind our first article for today that uh, yeah. to really drive on this discussion it's really around the retention piece more so than than anything else, not really on attraction, but from a retention perspective, this was an article um, from the Harvard Business Review. Um, six strategies to boost retention through great uh, through the Great Resignation. This was from three um, Boston Consulting Group um, analysts who, sorry, excuse me, four um, Boston Consulting Group analysts who really actually six very very um, useful uh, quick strategies that organizations can deploy to really bring in retention. The first was on incentivizing loyalty. So it's interesting that you're talking about um, what that loyalty means and incentivizing loyalty being through compensation. I think mm. um, we all recognize that compensation does need to be a strategy that we um, that we put in. Um, the, third, the second was providing opportunities to grow. The third, elevate your purpose, very much so along the lines of that. Prioritize culture and connection was the fourth. The fifth was invest in caring for employees and their families. And the sixth was embracing flexibility. Are there any of those six that kind of pull out to you or do you think oh that's rubbish I yeah. wouldn't really agree with that no. at all like it sounds like ubiquitous language we, we talk about all of these words all of this these themes for like two years very intensely but who has really executed like when the rubber hits the road who has really delivered this and who is who has been really clear at articulating and communicating the true value of all of these initiatives and all of these things that matter to our people. I don't think anyone's really cracked this, quite frankly. Some have done elements of it. I also note you always, in Social Talent, with you or Johnny or Vince, for anyone's presenting, you always reference Harvard Business Review, The Economist, Financial Times. I never see of any of the papers that you actually read uh, reference when you're <laughs> quoting any articles um, in our space, you know. Um, I, I look forward to seeing them. Um, mm -hmm. so the suns, the world, and the Irish Times. Um, but <laughs> anyway, I've been kind with the Irish Times, but just stop. Um, so financial, financial. Do you remember, Holly, the, the government savings scheme that the Irish government launched? So, some of the listeners will probably know. So, was the like 20 years ago? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Bertie mm -hmm. Hearn. Uh, I remember doing it, and I actually had it as my kind of methods to save for say, my first mortgage or whatever. Um, for so context you, for listeners or for watchers, this is where for every four euro you saved, the government would give you an extra one. So it would give you a 20% return on your savings. Yeah, if you kept it for five years. So maximum, I think, was, yeah. a thousand, yeah, was it a thousand euro maximum a month or something like that? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it went up two out. years or something. Yeah, and you couldn't touch it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, well remembered. So and so then, just and then everyone bought cars at the end when they all matured. I think it <laughs> I actually was the, 
it was the catalyst for the Celtic Tiger, which uh, ended in spectacular, spectacular um, collapse. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. you think about financially incentivizing retention. So again, mm-hmm. like like what are the main pressure points, certainly for us and say for our kind of, say, average kind of recruiter in our business, there's usually a kind of a life decision. Usually uh, we tend not to lose to our competition. A lot of it's in-house, quite frankly, so they're going to the multinationals, they're going to uh, uh, tech companies and so on. But um, there's usually a life decision and it's usually around, it's usually around, say, buying a house or reaching a ceiling. But if you look at financially, so one good one I learned was actually uh, to have like a like a mortgage saving scheme for that cohort uh, who are probably mm. at an age, maybe in their 20s, uh, where the company's working with them over two, three-year periods to match fund or to uh, to contribute towards like a savings scheme. Obviously, any kind of LTIP um, and kind of options are, 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 are good ways to retain, but... Um, I think the tax treatment of those is is, is something that's under question. Uh, but when I think about what retains people, what's good news? I'll give an example. Um, I often think of the influencers of our people. So quite often they'll go home to their nearest and dearest, or they are at home with their nearest and dearest, back to our mm-hmm. point, and they'll share the news after their day's work. So you leave the desk you're at now, Holly, you go to that couch, uh, you'll sit mm-hmm. down with your husband, you'll be there with the baby or having dinner, whatever it might be, and you're going to share mm-hmm. your news. And quite often, the response our people receive from their influencers is what drives much of their feeling around what works for them and their family. So something mm-hmm. that can be directly correlated with a lifestyle enhancement, I think is a positive thing. Something around career development, I know, uh, fidelity, for example, uh, kind of touches on the kind of the learning piece. Uh, but they offer one day every two weeks now to learn a new technology for their developers. So they wow. get to collaborate one day every two weeks. And obviously they're upskilling for themselves and there's a whole world of innovation coming out of this. But it was much more frequent than, I, than I've ever heard before, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of feeds in then to if it's lifestyle, then it brings in the question of the sustainable performance. Um, so I, we'll probably get to that in, in a bit. Uh, so look, the financial piece is really, really important. And I think like, I think looking after the well-being of our people, they need to be performing to a level where they're earning and they're, again, realizing their individual potential. Um, and again, it's not a holistic kind of painting brush we can come in and just kind of paint everyone with the one brush. But it needs to be, again, bespoken down to the experience of work, uh, but also how it overlaps with their human experience and if we can feed the human experience and support the human experience as part of their 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 partnership with us as employers i think that's going to help with retention yeah i love that idea actually of of um matching funds like if you if we understand what the financial incentives are of our of our employees like for example if if people have you know in ridiculous student loans for example that they really need to that they're really struggling to pay off or they're trying to save for that down payment on a mortgage or they're mm. looking to save for their retirement they're trying to go they're trying to pay for their children's education whatever that is like everybody does have an incentive and i think once we earn enough to take the issue of money off the table that usually gives us that flexibility then to think elsewhere but um anything that's creative you know that that organizations can do in order to retain people i think is is very very useful i love really love that idea 
Um, in terms of things like embracing, embrace, excuse me, embracing flexibility, you yeah. were saying earlier that it's a is, that it's definitely a two way door um, when it comes to flexibility, and um, you know, obviously employees have been incredibly flexible for employers by by putting the foot down um, on the accelerator when times really need it, um, especially during the intensity of the pandemic when I'm sure all of us worked more hours than we ever have in an office because we were at home and therefore we didn't have the commute and therefore it was much easier just to have the emails on all the time and suddenly that blur happened much easier I think than when we had that that separation from work because of a commute. Um, so what can organisations do I think in order to encourage and embrace that flexibility that employees need? It's live it and breathe it like like mm. again like we talk about like again like flex on the city uh again <laughs> I've, I've loads of them holly you don't you don't want to know i love it i um, love it <laughs> like so a lot of people have changed their tune um a lot of people have changed their tune um and there's also polarized views aren't there like hmm. on what flexibility is and um to what to what benefit and to what cost um mm. now my own feeling is where we are a tribe better together certainly here at sigmar is my my feeling and again we 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 give as much flexibility as people need and it's not just like around time like flexibility has to kind of be stitched into every aspect of their experience of us mm. and we haven't cracked it we certainly have not cracked it now we built a, a bar in our back garden to encourage people to convene more um and uh, again into a safe space um which has been well used um so uh it's a uh, it's it, 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 it's really just have a reason and a place uh, that's safe to convene more so uh, for new people that haven't really got together um but look it's as flexible as is being demanded like employment is demand driven if what's if this if, the, if, if, if our people are demanding it it's how flexible we need to be um but i don't think like our work practices are really sinking what we need to deliver for ourselves for where we have places of work but more importantly for our customers um and again like i think that's where we need to have some realistic maybe challenge to flexibility if it goes beyond mm -hmm or gets to a place where it's not delivering for our customer, we need to question it. And then I think we need to show probably balanced leadership and making sure that it's as flexible as it needs to be. And I don't, again, look, choose your poison. Like it's a broad spectrum. Um, but if it's about being competitive in the marketplace, it's as much as being demanded. Uh, and then it's a question of the peaks and troughs of times where the flex needs to work in the other direction to show up for the customer when you are needed most. So it works both yeah. ways. Yeah, and I think honestly, when individuals do experience that flexibility where they receive it because they needed it at that time, they're so much more willing to be flexible on the other side than when, when the time comes. Um, so long as I think that's made relatively explicit, you know, okay, yeah, happy to flex here for you. If you're happy to flex me when I need you most as well, um, or when I need a little bit more of your time. And I honestly do believe that, that virtually everybody is perfectly fine with that. But look what's being, so if you read like the average job description now, right? So like most people like, like work from anywhere is baseline. Like there's a baseline mm -hmm. expectation, right? A baseline. And if you look at like, I don't see any 
edgy, innovative, like creative, like articulation of like a real, true, long-term, flexible way of working. So everyone's promoting work from anywhere, like fully distributed, right? So if we aren't geared or built and 99% of companies in the world have not grown or come from that world. So we're trying to recreate where, by whom and how work gets done. And we will, I honestly believe, we will revert to a lot of our old habits. A lot of ways of working will contract once more um, when we're allowed to reconvene um, in, a, in, in a wholesale way. And I would really question, like, what are we building for the future? Like if somebody chooses to work from anywhere, if they choose to relocate and to do individual contributory work and don't like I'd question the trajectory of their career, quite frankly, in five years time and 10 years time. Um, or or I, I might be completely like out of sync and I'm no longer attractive as an employer. You know what I mean? So, so look, it, this is the split that's happening, isn't it? Like, you know, but I think we like, actually, do you remember Paddy McCord? I do, yes, yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. So, so again, the, the the chief people officer at Netflix, and she managed a lot of that early transition author TED speaker. Uh, so she was long, a long time telling me about like we talk about like the the short tenure of our workforce. So six months, nine mm. months, twelve months, eighteen months, and we're all giving it about retention. And we we kind of used to equate that to millennials and uh, kind of growth and expectation and being more demanding uh, and less loyalty. Um, and her point to me, this is four years ago, five years ago, was mm. like, why are we constantly giving out about this? And why don't we re reverse engineer our thinking to look to leverage the value of a worker who has now worked maybe five years and done three stints with world-class companies? How do we re-engineer our workflows to get as much as possible from that fabulous experience instead of giving out about it and saying no to these people because we think they're job hopping? So the same yeah. goes for flexibility. How do we re-engineer our work practices to ensure that we get as much as we can for our customers uh, and also for our people? Like we, This is baseline. We show up for our people. We've got their well-being. It's about the sustainable support of our people. That goes without saying everything else on top of that has to work towards what's been sought in the marketplace yeah absolutely actually do you know what um the the job hopping nature of of some kind of workers um the the new york times this morning they do um as they do every single morning they have an episode of their podcast i'm sorry the daily uh, is uh is, is a podcast i listen to religiously every every yeah. weekday um outside of american holidays of course but the um the episode from today was all about amazon and their absolutely relentless consumption of people <laughs> um but also realizing that people are a finite resource you know it's a it's a non-renewable resource if you're eating them that fast and they literally their churn rate per year in their warehouses is 150 percent meaning that every eight months they are replacing 100 percent of every role in, in their warehouses which is bananas but um with that in mind they also understand that look these are eight months that we're going to get out of these people let's absolutely get the absolute mo most that we can let's ramp them up as quickly as we possibly can but um they have had to do a bit of an about face where jeff bezos you know his his motto of being the world's most customer-centric organization has had to flip to where we're you know this is the most um customer-centric organization where people love to work you know it's actually it's a destination employer 
Um, and because their people are looked after in their warehouses, they will therefore look after their customers. You know, yeah, that, that's, nice. that's, he's realized that that has definitely linked the two together. Thank goodness, because um, warehouse work at that pace is unsustainable. Um, you know, regardless of how much money you throw at the problem, money is not always the answer. Um, so it is all those other additions like having that flexible um, working or having where you're prioritizing culture, where you're prioritizing that purpose, people can really see what they're actually delivering for. Um, and you know, that's what's going to retain people rather than just pay them $15 an hour as a minimum, give them healthcare. It's also given those up other opportunities, as you're saying, around flexibility, around caring for people, making sure you have their well-being and um, center of mind and um, and that of their families as well. And that's probably what's going to retain them. But if we think and like we probably come from a world, Holly, where we act, behave mm-hmm. and think like like missionaries you know what i mean it's about mm-hmm. culture growth future value creation people caring um and if the market has changed to people thinking like mercenaries like mm-hmm. there's a collision like yeah. they're two very different things so i think there's a bit of adjustment required on both sides yeah yeah well speaking of a mercenary type of organization we do have the one last article before we finish up for today okay. um which was from the new york times and it was that wall street is grudgingly allowing remote work as bankers have dug in so finance employees who couldn't imagine working from home before the pandemic are now reluctant to return to the office and their bosses can't figure out how to bring them back um i remember uh, reading a lot on on investopedia about like what's it like to work as an analyst or a banker oh i know sorry yeah um but like you know, these are people who do 100 hour weeks monday to friday you know they're not in over the weekend but it's monday to friday 100 hours and they're you know in at seven o'clock in the morning and they leave the office maybe my bit by midnight um and it's this relentless incredible workload that they have to do and now they're doing it from home and they don't want to come into the office um and initially my thinking of around bankers was oh gosh it must be like they can't get a bloomberg terminal at home they can't you know it's all the security things there might be something i don't know there might be a, a hack or something like that of, of a work computer but really it's more than that it's it's um i you know the fact that employees are actually saying no no sorry <laughs> i'm not going to be coming into the middle of the city and commuting for an hour each way on top of the 100 hours i do in the office i'm actually I'm, i can perfectly well do this from home um and uh, i think really it's about you know the right tools the right resources for them to be able to do their work and then the right leadership that they have leaders who really do recognize what they're going to do and that's maybe how bankers will get into that but was there anything maybe from this like as the most reluctant laggard type organization or 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 industry to not possibly do work from home um or the employees are just going no not doing it not coming back into the office it's too risky yeah so I'm meeting the banking CEO for um for dinner this evening, and even oh, choosing, fun. I know, I know, it, it, it's 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 a, uh, and uh, just even choosing what to wear. Like I was much more conservative, and I will wear a suit, um, mm-hmm. and again, like, we're we're a supplier, and again, we're a partner and a collaborator, um, and that's that's more of a, yeah, I think it's just a a decision that probably ties into. Maybe the culture, like maybe that Wall Street culture, which I think is quite unique uh, as this mm-hmm. London City uh, kind of culture. But we think about this, or the way you describe it, Holly, is employee and employer. So the employer is demanding the return of the employees. I think there's something much deeper around this kind of peer-to-peer expectation, 
kind of influence uh, and if, mm-hmm. if 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 it is a macho culture that is about is as we expect or understand Wall Street culture could be uh, there mm-hmm. might be a very different influence at play where like there is that like presenteeism um mm-hmm. kind of expectation there is that kind of um yeah I think nearly kind of a um like the, the, I forget who said it, which CEO said it, but like, like if you can go to a restaurant in New York, you can come into the office. Like it was only like a, like a table buying moment, wasn't it? Like, you know, it's like, just get your arse in here yeah. where there's a question around. I think it was JP Morgan actually around banking. So Jamie Dimon, was it? I possibly was, yeah. I, I think in a way they're kind of right, but also presenteeism is a problem. To be seen to be working in order to have a value ascribed to your work is the wrong way to manage in my opinion i really do really i think uh, outcomes as is the most important thing and obviously they come through inputs regardless of how those inputs happen but do you need to be seen to be doing those inputs in order to get the value from them? no no no, so. no 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 yeah. no no but, but the opposite is also true and i'll leave you on this uh holly so virtual mm-hmm. so again i think oh, it's yeah. something very yeah it's something very different now and i think it's like if you work in an international organization that there's a question uh, around your availability and if we are to really humanize and really individualize work the working patterns are nearly like the peer-to-peer service level of when available what's expected and availability to work needs to be clearly articulated at a very granular one-to-one level so expectations are managed and we don't have this virtual teism become a significant challenge and issue as we figure out we, where we are to work over the next couple of months yeah absolutely virtual teism i like that i will be stealing that uh, thank you very thank much you. robbie thank you with two hands um <laughs> well indeed so as we come towards the end of our time i, I can't believe 46 minutes have gone by already um we ask all of our guests for one last piece of advice that they can add to to our shortlist um robbie what have you got for us on oh absolutely anything Okay. To see the shelf behind me. I do. Yeah, to see all those books. Yes. One of those um, pillars or columns of books are gifts that are received from social talent. Um, <laughs> yeah. And again, if and then if you look at the um, the the fireplace, there's a bottle of mm-hmm. liqueur, which was another gift from somebody else um there'd be one of those going home this evening holly and uh, <laughs> i'll let you decide which one it was um but to circle back to your 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 question one piece of advice yeah i think to really figure out our post-covid renewed commitment value proposition values to get clear on them uh, and to make everyone understand what they are um and to get that balance right if it's really about delivering or commitment or drive or growth and usually elements of that proposition and behavior sets and values is about Mm. growth and i think the one winner over the last 18 months has been well-being in the truest sense of the world and to pinch an analogy from the sporting world person first player second I think we need to really stick with that, continue on that commitment 
And I mean that in the truest sense. And quite often, it's this constant challenge I think we'll face into between well-being and well-doing. Um, I think with less resources in our organizations, there's a chance that we may go backwards with the amount of demand for our products and services in this kind of growth market. Um, but well-being also means it also means ensuring that our people do well, that they do well. And there's a big question around the cost of high performance. Uh, I know there's been some examples that have come out from the last Olympics. It's been the longest training cycle for any Olympics in history, five years because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a significant fallout on a personal human level from a lot of those athletes. I heard of one suicide, in fact, um, of an athlete oh. in New Zealand. Uh, and again, I think the question of um, at what cost, high performance at what cost and the sustainability mm -hmm. and ultimately to try and keep what we've gained and to reclaim what we've lost in a um, in a very, yeah, in, in, in a sustainable way is important. Um, but again, it starts knowing that we're backing our people, showing up for them in order to show up for our customers. Mm, I like that. Yeah, sustainability is is um, is definitely a, a, an interesting trend, not just from a like a climate change perspective, but I think um, you know with that in mind, yeah, and even coming back to what Jeff Bezos had realized that humans are a finite, non-renewable resource. You know, mm. sustainability is definitely something we we need to focus on for our people. Um, Robbie, I love that. Thank you so much. And this has been a really fascinating conversation, not a sparring one. I know we didn't disagree as much as I expected us to, but thank you so much. Well, you that. start with the tooth fairy, and you start with the elf of the shelves. It kind of takes out any any potential to spar. I agree, and I hope the Athena shells well well behaved over the next couple of days uh, no aren't, aren't up to too much mischief. <laughs> indeed, um, Robbie, thank you so much for your uh, for your wisdom and for your expertise in this topic. I've really appreciated this conversation. Um, and join us next week. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Join us next week on the shortest same time, Wednesday at four pm, where we'll be talking about uh, COVID and the rise of anti Asian sentiment. We'll have Lucy Sheen, who is a, an actress, a playwright, and a digital artist. Um, a really really interesting perspective on this i really um hope you join us for that conversation that's wednesday the 8th of december at 4 p.m gmt and um, thank you everybody and we'll see you next week bye